0: All right, well, we better dive in. We got a workout to do today. Um, we are going to go over just Romans eight 29, and we're planning on two verses today, but that is not going to happen. We're going to do one verse. Hopefully, we can get through all that. There's a lot in it, and uh, we got a ways to go, so I'll get us started in prayer, and we can, we can dive in right away. Lord, I thank you for your word and for your Bible. Thank you for giving us everything that you intended to give us um, in the scripture. And I pray that we can open our minds and our hearts to you today, acknowledging that we just do not know everything and we won't know everything uh, until uh, you bring us home to you. So I pray that we can learn together, grow together, and um, just be sanctified and edified as a body and as a unit. Thank you for this morning, in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, open your Bibles, please, to Romans 8. It's after the Gospels. Halfway through Romans, we're almost at the exact halfway mark, but we're, we're at a mountaintop here in Romans. We're, we're at a, a high, high peak of... The book of Romans and of the Bible itself. Um, Romans chapter 8 is, is just so exciting, and there's so much for us to gain from it. And like I said, this morning is going to be more like a, a workout, just trying to make sure that um, we, we work out the proper muscles in our brain and uh, that we can go through this not too quickly and really take some time to dive in and understand together and hopefully learn together. Um, like I said in, in the prayer, we, there's just some things that we're not going to be able to understand fully. And I'll be the first to admit that uh, in this study, it was quite the challenge for me to prepare um, and go through a lot of the information that's, that's in here. Um, and there's so much more for me to learn. There was so much more to share in this class. And I, I cut out about three-fourths of it just so we could try and squeeze it into this hour. Um, and there's, there's so much to go over that we'll, uh, we'll do our best. So in verses 28 last week, we read through uh, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to His purpose. We went over most of the first half of the verse and um, touched on the second half, Mark let it hang there so we could touch on it this week, because we're going to talk about what 29 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Okay, so in 28, quick summary verse, God the Father effectually called those he foreknew according to his purpose, Mark told about talked about the effectual call uh, last week, and uh, the, the difference in the two different types of callings that there are. Um, and in this verse, he's talking about the effectual call. So we're using that to lead into verse 29. First thing we want to touch base on is the word for new, and that is a pretty big, uh, pretty big controversy just throughout um, Christian society and non-Christian society. Uh, on what that means and and how to understand it. So it would do us well to take some time and go over that. As some of you might understand it pretty well, and some of us might not uh, know all that is there for us to gain from that or understand the um, the view that is what well, biblical, right? There's there's non-biblical views. There's biblical views, and there's there's debate on that too. Um, Two different ways to look at this word through Bible study um, we'll, we'll consider in some of these questions and I want us to think through this I'm going to ask you these questions are on your paper uh, but it's important for us to, to stop and look through it and think about it and read and, and study as well so the first question I have there is does it matter if we get this wrong and that's a question for you to answer in your own head, right? This, this is a part of the Bible that, like I said, it's a mountaintop. It's an exciting peak that we're learning from Paul through what he's teaching, the Church of Rome. And uh, this part of chapter 8, it's very important. I mean, so many, so many Christians fall back on these verses. We look to these verses for encouragement and hope and consideration, but there is very, very deep theology in here, and um, if, Paul, if Paul knew it, he knew it the best, right? Uh, and we're learning from him, and we're learning 2,000 years after he wrote this down, and in a different language, so we are going to do our best to understand it. But if we get it wrong, um, could that result in the difference of what matters most, salvation and, and unsaved, right? Right? So in a sense, it could matter if someone understands it wrong and, and it leads them to a false understanding of faith. Um, but if you're saved and you have faith and uh, we understand this wrongly, does that mean it'll, it'll turn us away from salvation? No, it, it won't do that, right? Uh, once saved, we will be saved forever. We are God's eternal children. So... There's a yes and no answer to that question, but it's important to uh, think through that. The next question I have, uh, did God look into a tunnel of time and choose those who chose his son? Now, there's part of the debate in this four new is that, is that God was the creator of everything. He put it all together. And then he, he's outside of time, right? He is not sitting within time like we are. And he is not... Uh, waiting for things to happen, for, for his will to be done in a way that he doesn't know it'll be done. He's outside of time. He understands all time. But did he create everything from the beginning and look ahead and see, okay, this person and this person and this person, they chose Jesus. They chose my son. So therefore, I will uh, predestine them to salvation and use them for my purposes. So that's a question that we want to ask. Do you, have a, do you have a question there? No? Okay. You look like you're ready to jump in. Question to ask yourself, does he do that? And does he, does he make his decisions that way? The next question would be, does God gain knowledge? Yes. that's okay. That, that's a good question. That's what we want to be asking ourselves right now. So how does God foreknow? How does God predestine? How does he understand and know who are going to be his chosen and the elect um, who are going to be Christ's followers, his people? So does he do that? Does he gain knowledge? So if he's looking down a tunnel of time and seeing what's going to happen, and then he makes a decision— on what he saw happen, is, is he learning, if that's the case? Yes. He is sovereign, right? Exactly. He is sovereign. He is all-knowing. So how can you be all-knowing and, and learn something, right? Okay, good questions to ask. Um, What would God see if he, and I use the word, investigated the future that he didn't ordain? What would he see in us, in people, in the world in general? Would he see people coming to God? Would he see people not coming to God? Right? Right, remember back in 3, Romans 3, that none search for God, none are looking to follow God, none will come to God. So if he's learning, if he's looking into a, a I keep saying tunnel of time, but that's just a, the, what I'm using as an example, right? If he's looking into it and he's learning and he's making his decisions, then what he would see is everyone reject God, everyone reject Christ because that's what we will do in our sinful nature. Another question along those lines, how much moral ability do we have to exercise a love for God? And I ask that outside of God intervening in our lives. If He hasn't intervened in our lives, what ability do we have to to know Him and love Him? Any? Some? A little bit? Outside of him intervening in our heart, how much moral ability do we have to choose him? You would say, no, not much? On a scale of like one to 10, maybe about two? Is that what you're saying? Renee, what would you say on a scale of one to 10? None? Okay, okay. All right. What kind of God would he be if he could only predestine possibilities? So if he could only predestine possibilities, put put stuff out that here's an option for this person, here's an option for this person, and here's an option, and I'm going to sit back here in my tunnel of time and watch what they do. <laughs> it feel very secure for me. Right? Right? Well, as uh, you know, as as we see it from our human standpoint, we can we can put possibilities in front of our children, in front of kids in school, in front of other family members. Um, especially if we're older and have quite a bit of authority over them, it's easy for us to put possibilities in front of them and show them. You know, you could do this for school, or you could do this for college, or you could do this for the career um here's here's the Bible, and here's what it says: all these things that we could put forth on our own now if, if God's limited to only doing that as well are we serve, are we serving a, a holy perfect God that that knows all is omniscient is he he's in all he's seen all he's outside of time, so he knows the beginning from the end We couldn't say those things about him if he could only. Put forth possibilities for humans to choose. So instead of that, he, he's doing—he's doing a lot more than just putting forth possibilities. Did you get a copy? Okay, great. Okay, so those are all questions I wanted to put in your mind. I want you to think through those. Need a copy or a question? Yes. And those are the questions I'm putting forth so that you do think through that in your head. Because would uh, all holy, all omniscient, all perfect God, who's from eternity past to eternity future, have a plan B? Would he have a plan B? Would Would he be able to have a backup plan in case his first plan didn't work? No, it's okay. it's okay. Those are, those are good questions. This is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this, like I said, working on this study was a, a major struggle for me as well. It wasn't um, as smooth and defined and clear as. Our- our previous ones have been through Romans, um, and so we are are going through this slow, so we can ask those questions. And I want to continue going down this road, Carrie, so we can um, look through this study and and hopefully see some of the answers that uh, we see the Bible tell us through that. But those are great questions to have. And right, that's what I'm saying. There's a big split on the two different views of what foreknowledge means. Um, and, and they're defined, really, in one, one way that God foreknew um, every, everyone before all of creation was ever existed. Uh, and the other, the other thought process is God uh, created everything and sees forward to see who chooses what in their free will and bases the future off of what those decisions were. So those, those are really the two big sides of um, the debate on what this, what this means and how we read through it in the Bible. So what is the true meaning of the word for new? right? That's the last question I have on there. And hopefully we can come up. Yes, question. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Right? Yeah, we, we definitely aren't in a position to, to figure it all out. And um, it's, it's tough being so far away from the authors of these letters that wrote that and knowing what they meant at that time in that context with those people in their language. And here we are sitting in Utah, America, right? And, and we're, trying to, we're trying to figure this out as, as we're looking back so far in time. Um, but yeah, there, that goes in line with the, what is hope that can be seen, right? If we can't hope in it unless we can see it and understand it, that's not real hope. That, that, that's not the real hope that, that we learned about uh, a couple weeks back. So, But they're very good questions to have, and they're very good questions to struggle with. So I encourage you, if, if you're asking those and you're going, well, you need to tell me right now. Well, We're gonna walk through it together, and I'm hoping we can come up with answers that'll settle in your heart today and point us in uh, the right direction. Always wanna go in the right direction with scripture and just understand it as best as we can and use that to uh, edify one another. So we're gonna use scripture to interpret scripture. I narrowed this down as much as I could to try and squeeze it in this class, and I put a whole bunch on the back page for you that I wanted to use today, but we're not going to get to, um, and there's a lot more. This is not an exhaustive list by any means on these two words, foreknowledge and predestination, um, but it'll give you a start. It'll give you something to, to look up and run with, and if, if you just die hard on wanting to know more and learn more about it, I'm hoping this today will give you a start on that, and then you can follow up on that on your own. Yes, Mark. Yeah. Yes. There you go. Yep. Exactly. And that's coming once we're done with chapter 8. So we're not far. And I know we're going super slow right now, so that seems like a year. But we'll speed up after these couple verses, 20, 28, 29, 30. I think we can get in a, a couple at a week after that, so it won't be too much longer. Speed <laughs> up <laughs> Yeah. Uh, But we want to slow down for for the stuff that's just so deep and it has so much there so we can try and understand as best we can. Flip with me all the way to the front of your Bible. I'm going to start um, in Genesis 4-1. Just take a quick look at Genesis and um, what the Bible has to say here in regards to 4-new and how we can apply that. And again, i I cut out as many scriptures as I could so we could fit some in today. So we're just going to quickly glide through um, a couple in the Old Testament and then some in the New Testament and see how these match up. So Genesis 4, 1 reads, or I'll let someone else read it if you got that pulled up. Go ahead and read just the first verse. Right, and really, all we need is the first uh, first half of that verse first part of it now the man had relations with his wife Eve had relations is in the original language means to know his wife um, and that is a a knowledge and an understanding and a relationship uh, with his wife that as our, as our Bible translates into our current language, um, that, can, that can differ on how we say it, but the meaning of it goes back to he knew his wife. And we'll have another reference uh, in, in a couple verses that'll match up with that in the New Testament. But that's important to, to see and to uh, know that um, the Bible uses the thought and the word know uh, as a description of a deep, intimate relationship. Um, and here it had, obviously, sexual ties because they had a child, um, but in, in the realm of marriage and knowing uh, a man and a wife as coming together as one, that is meant to be a, a deep and personal and singular relationship between those two. Okay, and then flip over all the way. We're skipping a lot. There's a ton in Genesis that have this same, um, same reference about men knowing their wives and, and what that means and the relationship that's there. And it's usually talking about having more children because there's a lot of children being had in Genesis. Uh, but I want to start there and point that out, that, that that meaning starts all the way back in the beginning of the Bible um, as as this deep, intimate relationship between um, two individuals. So then skip over to Jeremiah 1. And I do hope if you have time to go back this week and look through the rest of the verses that I at least pulled out, which weren't a ton, but there's there's so much in here. If you have a an app on your phone or your tablet like I have, if you highlight one of the words you're looking up, it'll show you everywhere in the Bible where that word um, was used. And it splits out the Old Testament and the New Testament because the the language is different. Um, but the word "no" was used over 800 times in the Old Testament. Not always in this type of context, but it, it's in there a lot. And then you can go through and, and search them all up. And then it, it did similar in the, the New Testament over 200 times um, was it used in that, in that way. So it's helpful to see how often it's, it's being used. Okay, Jeremiah 1, just verse 5. Someone want to read that out for us? That's right. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Introduction to the book of Jeremiah, Um, the prophet Jeremiah, and he he did a lot of God's work. Um, He was called from a child. Uh, He was called before he was born. Before he was in the womb, God knew him. Does that mean he existed before he was in the womb? and God knew him through his preexistence. Knows, knows, knows. It, it doesn't say that Jeremiah knew God. Right. Thank you. It doesn't say that Jeremiah knew God, but God knew him. God knew him, right? Okay. Good. I'm glad you saw that in there. Let's flip now to the New Testament over to Matthew. Chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. If you're there, go ahead and read out loud 24 and 25, the whole verse for us. Okay, um, in Greek reads, he did not know Mary in, in the original language that that was written. So in verse 25 where it says, but he kept her a virgin, um, the literal translation means he did not know her. But how did he not know her? He was with her, he was engaged to her, they traveled back together, right? They had this child at his hometown, How did he not know her? Is it talking about knowing who she is? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's part of it. The the New Living Translation does translate it, no sexual relations. So he knew her. He knew who she was. He knew all about her. He knew about the situation, but he kept her a virgin. They didn't have that sexual relation. They didn't have that deep, intimate relation that two people have together when they're joined in marriage. You know a relationship goes farther when that happens. It's not the same before that and it never is the same after that. That's why we always teach our children. That's why I was taught when I was young that the, the whole ideal of sex before marriage is, is bad, it's wrong, and it's devastating in so many ways um, because... Your, your life never changes after, or it always changes after uh, a relationship happens where marriage wasn't involved. Um, and, and it changes us forever. But that kept her a virgin, had no sexual relations. He knew her. It was so much deeper than just the knowledge that he knew who she was. It's, it's deeper than our knowledge of even friends and, and family. Um, and Everyone on here understands that concept of that that intimate relationship. So he knew who she was, and he kept her a virgin. So he didn't know who she was until after Jesus was born. Okay, then flip still in Matthew to chapter seven. Verses twenty one. Through 23. Now, in light of what we've read so far through Genesis, Jeremiah, and Matthew 1, where it's talking about men and women having relations, it talked about God knowing Jeremiah before he was born. Now, thinking that way in our, in our heads through the word know, now let's read in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Go ahead and read once you got that. That just drives shivers up your spine, reading that and thinking that there are those who think they're saved and doing stuff in his name for him. And he says, I never knew you. This is Jesus. Jesus is the second person in, in the Trinity, in the Godhead. He's fully God. He's fully deity. How would he not know someone? Someone? Does he know who they are? Does he know what's in their hearts? Have you read in the Bible and the gospels that he knew what was in their hearts and therefore he said da 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 da? How many times does that happen? All the time, right? So what does this mean he doesn't know them? Right, yeah. You're so going down that line when someone's regenerated. What happens? And that, that connects us with God in a relationship that we've had this whole time, but now we know him better, or a relationship we've never had. <laughs> we never knew him. Before we are saved. We didn't, we didn't seek for him. We didn't know him. All our hearts were turned from him. We did not know him. So looking at this passage, if you back up um, to verse 15, you know, Jesus is teaching. He's talking about false prophets um, coming in sheep's clothing. Um, you will know them by their fruits. Good trees produce good fruit. A good, uh, good tree cannot produce bad fruit. Um, and every tree that does produce the bad fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you'll know them by, them, by their fruits. And then he jumps into, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, and, and he goes on down. And there, we did this, we did that, we did this in your name. They thought they knew him. And he says, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So these are, these are more likely moral people that are uh, even following what's written in the Bible, thinking they have a relationship uh, with God because of what they do, maybe what they say, um, thinking that their fruits are good, but they never had the relationship with God that they think that they've had. Could have been, it says false prophets, could have been a false god. False idea. But that relationship, is it solidified in what we do? Is it solidified in what we decide? It might look that way to us. But Jesus and God solidify their relationships based off of what they see, what they do, what they've decided. Jesus is saying right here, I never knew you. And this was probably extremely shocking to those people. And looking back to looking at relationships with husbands and wives, with God looking at Jeremiah and saying, I knew you and he knew her or he didn't know her. And Jesus saying, I never knew you. That connection, that relationship, it's not there. It never was. But Jesus knows who they are. He knows when they were born. He knows what their hearts had in them. He knows the decisions they were going to make, bad or good. So he knows who they are because he is all-knowing. But that relationship's not that connected relationship that he has with those who are in him. Right. Well, they're in their first nature, their nature of Adam, right? So it doesn't matter what sin they're committing, they, they are missing the mark. They are, they are not with God, or um, they, they haven't been saved. They haven't been counted as righteousness, as Abram was, right? Okay, let's keep going through the New Testament. John ten fourteen. John ten fourteen. the whole chapter of 10 is, is important and, and big, and it has the word know in it very many, a whole bunch of times, and I underlined it in my Bible. We'll just touch on verse 14. We could spend the whole class in this chapter looking through it, and that'd be fun, but we'll save that for another time. Verse 14 reads, I am, oh, I'll let you read the next one. You got the next one for me? Okay. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. And 15, let's do 15. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Okay, again, that same word being used here in John 10. Jesus knows the hearts of all. His relationship is with his sheep is with those whom are his, who are in him. And he's saying this before his death, right? He's saying this before his resurrection. It's not finished yet, but this is what he's teaching. And this is what he's saying. And this is what scripture has given us. It's for our sake that we have these words here. So that same word and same understanding of no is this relationship. And he's explaining it. And he goes through in 10 and talks about the parable of the good shepherd. And he continues on and on and on. Um, later on in 10, Jesus asserts his deity. Uh, verse 30, I and the Father are one. It's, it's a very good chapter. It's very good to get acquainted with that. But the word no is stated in there many, many times. Um, verse 38 as he, he's saying, um, he's talking about the works that he did, so that you may know and understand. Understand. There was a descriptive word for the word know as well in verse 38, John chapter 10, and that that understand comes with a intimate relationship, a deep relationship with our Savior. Okay, you've that getting painted out so far as we're going through these. Let's flip over to Galatians chapter 4. And again, I'm skipping a ton. Sorry about that. But I trust if your heart is set on knowing more that you will, you will do this study outside of this class. And um, you'll, you'll learn on your own. And you can bring us questions when we do our, our reviews. And we'll try to answer them as best we can. Okay, verse nine. Galatians four, verse nine, stand whenever you get there. Go for it. <laughs> They're still sticky. Yeah, I, I four, nine. And really just the first half of that verse two is all we really need to look at. Sure, go for it. However, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you are you turn back again to the weak and worthless? Okay. Right. So in context, um, this, this Galatians right now, they're going over a whole different concept than we are. But that explanation right there in verse 9, now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. So Paul's correcting a thought process that could lead down the line of, well, you know, we found God and we love him, and we follow him, and it's our choice, and we get to do that. He's saying... That is, that is. It's beyond Paul's comprehension. And as, as he rebukes them, uh, this church in Galatia, through this letter, he does it very sternly. But he's also pointing out that they didn't come to know God on their own, right? What he's pointing to here now is that they are now known by God. And there's that difference, right? There's that intimate relationship that um, is ordained by him. It's not our doing. But yes, in, in the context of this letter Uh, it see, it looks as they are falling away from a God that has come to know them, but that wouldn't happen with true Christians, right? Um, so Paul's rebuking them there, but we're going to continue on to, uh, the last verse I got for, for no, um, turn back to Romans and we'll go on chapter 11 and then we'll get back to eight. Romans 11. Okay, verses 33. You can read 33 through 36, but really I was just going to look at 34, but... Again, taking it in context, it's amazing verses, so we should read them anyways because they're, they're wonderful. Romans 11, 33 through 36. And pay attention to the verse 34. Amen. Wow, amazing verses. We can't wait to get to these. Yeah, we'll we'll fight over this. (laughs) Come to the UFC match between Mark and I on August 37th. Um, How unsearchable are his judgments and how unfathomable his ways. It's so hard to think it, I can't even say it straight, right? For who has known the mind of the Lord. Um, That goes back to Isaiah 40, verse 13. If you're writing notes and want to know where that's coming from, Isaiah 40, 13. Or who became his counselor? Who becomes the Lord's counselor? Back to my original questions. Is God learning, gaining knowledge? Is he looking down the tunnel of time and making decisions based off of what we are teaching him by our decisions. Yeah. It makes me laugh too. Once you look at it and you continue to research, no one no one is directing God, right? He directs our hearts. He directs the king's hearts. He will decide which way it flows. And that's for us too. If he's doing it to the king, he's doing it to you and I. Amazing verses. Amazing verses. Also, that Paul continues to remind us that this is really hard for us to understand, okay? So, don't feel bad in not knowing everything that this teaches. We definitely don't know everything that we're, we're going through, and we try and get out as much as we can. Um, but, but there's so much here that it's, it's just hard to soak it all in, especially the first time around. As you continue to learn through Romans, or if you get stuck on verses like 28, 29, 30, that's good. Spend time at it. As your heart heart directs you to do that, that is the spirit leading you to want to know more and understand more. Make sure to seek counsel, right? Anything we come up on our own in our own head without anyone of our brothers or sisters that we've talked to, uh, we could easily go down the wrong direction, and a lot of cults do. So use each other. We're here together. So I pieced together a definition of foreknew um, that is definitely man-made and <laughs> uh, as best as I can do for you, um, but what made sense to me and my heart, and I wanted to share. So I'll give you the fill in the blanks here. Four new is a preordained forelove. Of the chosen bride of Christ that God is revealing to the world through time and grace to glorify Christ in eternity future. I know that's a long definition, and let me know if you missed any of those. Remember, Scripture is here for us to learn, to gain knowledge, to believe, to understand, and to have hope in what we don't understand. Time is something God created that we are all within, but He is not. He is outside of time. He is before the beginning, and He's after the end. And through Scripture, we see that He has established everything that's going to happen, everything that takes place, everything that man does, He is aware of, He knows about, He ordained it. He's not reacting to it. We also know that those whom He foreknew, He loved. And God is love. God is the all-encompassing definition of love. And he does love all people in a sense, right? Otherwise, this world wouldn't exist if he didn't love those who weren't in Christ. Just be done away with it. But there is love and mercy for the unregenerated hearts. But there is a special, deep, intimate, passionate, fire love For those who are chosen, for those who are Jesus Christ's gift to him, the bride of Christ. And he loves us because he loves his son. And he chose his son to be glorified. And although he was glorified in the future, and he's being glorified through us and through the working of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ... He'll be ultimately glorified in what we see as future. God already knows it exists. He has already established all of it, right? But it's coming to us through time, through grace, and it's being revealed to us through his word and through our lives as we live it and we learn as Christians. From the moment we were regenerated and we were born again till the time that we die, we are learning more through the word, through the scripture and through time. Okay. He also predestined conformed uh, to become conformed to the image of his son. All right. Back into Romans 8 verse 29. We got past the first five words. Continue on. (laughs) For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Predestined. Why? Well, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. You can find it in chapter 2 and 10. Um, we are here and chosen for a reason. And I'll let you go read those. They're on the list that you have at the on the back of your page. Um, but... There's a reason that we were chosen, and Ephesians is very edifying. Ephesians, it's at the very, very, very beginning of this letter um, that Paul is writing. It's not in the teaching part of the letter. It's at the very beginning. They understood predestination so well that it's it's not something that they're teaching. They're blessing God and glorifying God in it when it reads blessed be God the father our lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ verse 4 just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world mind blown that would be holy that we would be holy and blameless before him okay so there's the why so that we would be holy and blameless before him Again, can we do that on our own without God intervening in our hearts? You know the answer to that question. And how do we do that before the foundation of the world? We can't. He is the only one. But to be blameless and holy, we know that's not us in our hearts. We know that's not us living it out. But we also know that Christ's righteousness, the one the one and only who was that holy blameless one, His perfectness was imputed to us on his death and resurrection, right? And now we are called to live that out, to be holy and blameless. Verse 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons. Again, there's that adoption thing that we talked about before. We were orphans. We did not know God, and we could not come to him on our own. He predestined us to adoption, okay? So I'll let you continue on in Ephesians In your after study, because now you're definitely going to have one, right? Good. Thanks. Awesome. Okay. What? Predestined. What? First Peter, one, two, and three. We are chosen by God, and we are chosen to obey Jesus Christ's commands. So we, Ephesians, we were chosen before the foundation of the world. We were selected. Um, before all creation was made, and we were chosen to be holy and blameless, First Peter talks about being chosen to obey Jesus Christ. Jesus came to do works and miracles and healing and saving, and he also taught, and he taught, and he taught, and he taught. And not all of it is captured in Scripture. And we know that. John tells us that at the very end of his letter, of his gospel, that if everything he did was written down, we wouldn't have enough of enough books in the world to, to write it all down. There's too much. But what is written is here specifically for us, for those to come to faith in Christ. How? 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31, talks about consider our calling. Okay, we went through this. Um, a couple months ago, maybe five months ago, I guess, as we're re- learning through 1 Corinthians in our sermon series, consider our calling. Paul's telling that church of Corinth, who we're learning about now, that was not the most upright, not the most righteous, not living a holy and blameless life, that church, which is probably very evident to the general church here in America, right? They weren't living that way, but he was reminding them to consider their calling, to think about how they are living and what they should be doing and what they are called to do. We were, previously, before we were saved, we were slaves. And slaves aren't free. Slaves can't do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. We were slaves of what? Sin. Slaves of sin. We were bound to it. We could not get away from it. But now, with regenerated hearts, we are. We're able to get away from it. We are able to make and have free choice in what we do outside of only choosing sin. Okay. The destination, here's your definition here under those. The destination is determined before the journey begins. The destination is determined before the journey begins begins. The word predestined explains itself. Destined, destiny, destination, and pre, you put those two together, compound word, it explains that things were, the destination was determined before the journey begins. So you, in Christ, now, this was determined before you were born. Look at Jeremiah. He was chosen. He was known All of Christ's are known. All of God's people are known before the foundation of the world. Your destination was determined. He knew you'd be here right now going through our study with us. And he knows what you're doing tomorrow. And he knows when your last day is. And he knew when your first day was before your great-great-great-grandparents knew. Because he is outside of time. And wrapping our mind around that is going to be impossible um, and, and Jeremy reminded me of that earlier this week. I said, okay, thanks. That helps that. I know I won't understand this. Good. Okay. <laughs> but he knows who his are, and those who aren't his yet but will be, he knows who they are, and he knows when that point in their life, when that point of time is that they are saved through the faith that God gives them. Okay, the purpose of predestination is twofold. And we see it at the end of the verse here. To be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the born, firstborn, firstborn among many brethren. Conformed. Um, I'm flipping right over to Romans 12, verse 2 here. And... I'll back up to one just to read that for context. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, he puts that in there for a reason, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. Remember the purpose, the reason we're here. That is pleasing. uh, Where I lost myself. Uh, Which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world. He is wanting us to be conformed to something rather than this world. As slaves of sin, we only had one option, to be conformed to the world. And now we are not to be conformed to to the world. There is no greater good than for you to become more like Jesus Christ, as his now, and unchained from sin, and free to make choices, We are now free to make choices in Christ, to be more like him. But there's going to be some things that happen in our life that we are out of our control. uh, And it's still going to conform us to him. Make you and me, this will make you and me more and more like his son. This is sanctification. The more we uh, live our lives in line with the word, we become more and more conformed to his son. And then the word image. God is chiseling away everything about you that isn't in the image of Christ. Think about that. As we live our lives and we continue on and things don't go our way or we get upset or uh, we had a frustrating day or much worse things are happening, he's chiseling away everything about you that isn't conformed to the image of Christ. This, again, is sanctification. Christ-likeness, the end of uh, verse 2 in chapter 12 here, says, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, and then I'm going to fly through this and finish up because we're at the last moment here, but we got one section left. Um, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Okay, firstborn. Many cults will look at this and say, oh, see, he was, he was the first creation. He wasn't born yet. Uh, no, wrong, answer, read Bible, okay? Um, we need to back up and understand what firstborn means, and there's there's definitely at least two ways to look at um, all the words, uh, well, lots of words in the Bible, especially firstborn. Um, and you can easily go back and find David uh, in the Psalms. He's called the firstborn. Was he the firstborn of his family? No, absolutely not. Um, and, and it's not because um, of of anything that he did. But firstborn is definitely used for David to show a positional um, seat that he will take amongst his nation. And Christ being the firstborn is definitely, definitely uh, a positional and ruler. He is on the throne and authority over all, all the world, all creation, all God, all kings, he is, it's a positional definition that he'll be the firstborn among many brethren. So those who are conformed to him that are in Christ, they will be all, they'll, that'll be the body. That'll be his bride that recognizes what his position is and will honor and worship him in that. So um, it's it's talking about that. It can easily go the wrong way when anytime we go over the word firstborn, but it's always good to Uh, Look at that and study it and understand that in a more in-depth manner. Uh, That was in Romans 8.29. Right, Colossians 1.18. You can look into uh, that verse too, and we're out of time, but look that up. Colossians 1.18 is great, talks about the firstborn and um, what that means with Christ's Positional power of authority. Okay, I did it. Woo! (laughs) Only two minutes late. (laughs) Let me close this in a word of prayer. Thank you all. Lord, we thank you again uh, for your mercies and for your grace. And I pray for our hearts to just be overwhelmed with your love and understand that all of this is about your love and in your love so that we as your people can see your love for us before this world began. It's not about us. It's about you and your son and what your love does. May we share that with the world. and May may we have all the hope to tell everyone about that love and share with them, Lord. Thank you for this morning, and I thank you for your word. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, thanks everyone.